0: So this morning, we're looking at John 2, 13 through 22. John 2, 13 through 22. I want to give you a, a little bit of my experience this last week. And, and I don't often do this, which is fine. Um, but this week was a little different uh, for me in terms of uh, sermon prep. So I often like to follow the, the lectionary, which is according to the church year. Um, there's three year cycles, uh, year A, B, C, and... According to the church year, every Sunday, there's a there's a scripture passage chosen. And, and the church sort of worldwide, those who follow the lectionary, are looking at the same ones. Um, and so I wanted to do that this week. Uh, but I, I looked at the scripture and I forget what it was. Um, but I had done it really not not long ago. And so I was like, bummer. So if we're in year A, I skipped to year B. And I was like, we'll do whatever next year is. And so I looked at it and it, it was this passage, John 2, 13 through 22. And then I looked and I realized, oh no, I did this like a year and a half ago. So I was like, okay, let's buckle down and let's, let's do it. Let's do it again. We're going to do it again. And this, this time it's going to be different. And then I got to Thursday. I had, I had this whole thing written probably two thirds by the end of the day. And, and, and uh, I think it was Thursday, pretty sure it was Thursday. And I was like, this is no good. No no, no, no no, no, So I, I erased it. <laughs> so I had like Friday to do this because I don't like doing it on Saturday and because uh, I never have and I won't. I refuse to do it on Saturday. So um, I, I did what I did on Friday and um, I'm a little nervous about it. So I just want to let you in. Um, that's all. So um, John 2:13 through22. Um, before we read, you'll find it on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Uh, let's pray together. Thank you, uh, God, for your word, for, um, for the Bible, for the scriptures, um, and for this time together where we get to sort of enter into the story. And if we want to, that's your invitation to us is is to let it wash over us and and challenge us and think differently, and and so we we pray that your Spirit would do whatever you need to do in us to uh, to make that a reality. Speak, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. (laughs) You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, it clicked for his disciples. They remembered what he had said. Oh. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. We'll go that far. So... Here's a, here's a question for you. Does anybody remember what, what happened? Oh, anybody remember what it was like um, back in March of 2020? Can you remember that far? Like, y'all had a baby, so the rest of you, do you remember wh- what happened back in March? Of 2020? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back then we'd heard of this thing called COVID-19. It was this new virus, right? And it had sort of migrated itself halfway around the world. And we were just hearing about it and we we kind of experienced it as this sort of almost like a dark cloud moving from east to west across the United States. States And we didn't, we didn't really know what to make of it at first. Uh, it was all a little bit confusing. Uh, we weren't sure how to feel about it. We had no idea what to expect or what exactly was coming, right? Uh, but then there was that Saturday night. I don't know if you remember this. I remember it vividly. We were watching the news on Saturday night. We found out the virus was here. It it was in Des Moines. And for the first time we heard the phrase, it was community spread. We all know what that means. We don't know where the person got it. They hadn't been overseas where the virus was. They just had it. And everyone was like, what do we do? So around here, we did the only thing we thought was appropriate because we didn't know what was appropriate, so we canceled worship for the next morning. Right there, it was like 10, 10.15, 10, 10.30 at night. We made the call, we canceled worship because we, we didn't know what to do, right? And then the next week, uh, we figured out how to live stream. So, uh, so Emily and I did a live stream sideways. <laughs> Most of you remember that. People are, people are watching that. So we kind of figured it out, and then Justine and Emily put their thoughts together and they figured out how to do a live stream reasonably well. Uh, and then as time moved on, it got way better. Remember when we had me looking like Al Roker, we had the weatherman thing up there, we had a TV, it's fantastic. So we, 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 then we thought, you know what, this is only gonna last a couple of months because uh, everyone thought it's only gonna last a couple of months and then we'll be back to, we'll be back to businesses as, as usual, right? We were all pretty confident of that. And, We all know how that worked out. Oh, then it wasn't safe together. So then we figured out how to move a sound system outside on the east lawn, and we had worship outside, and that stunk. I'm gonna be honest with you, I hated that. It was great for us to be together, but we were still out there, we were still social distancing, we were still wearing masks, it's, there were some days where it was hot. I was sweating before I got up to teach, and then it was really sweat, and I was worried I was going to get electrocuted. So we were out there, and then that worked okay for a while, but then it got, it got cold, and we were like, oh no, we learned a little bit more about the virus. We thought, so we we set the chairs up in the sanctuary, and it looked super weird. It was like Uh, By the way, we still live-streamed while we were out there. Oh my goodness, we figured out how to do that too. Emily and Justine, geniuses. I had nothing to do with that, by the way. Then we set up the chairs in here, socially distanced. We gathered together. We live-streamed. We did the hybrid thing. We all wore masks. We stayed six feet apart. And we did that for a while, right? It was weird. In the middle of all of that, we grieved. We mourned. We just wanted things to go back the way they were, right? The pandemic, I think, was the biggest societal disruption of my lifetime, without question. And for me as a pastor, it was the biggest disruption I have ever experienced. It had us asking questions around here, questions like, what is church? What are we doing here anyway? Why are we doing this? Is church sitting in front of a TV watching Facebook Live in our PJs with coffee and donuts? Y'all figured out how to eat donuts during church at home on your couch, didn't you? I know you. Is church that? Is church gathering together over Zoom with a small group to do a, to do a book? study together? What are we doing here anyway? And I think that, I think that hidden underneath that major disruption, there was an invitation from God. I think, I think there was an invitation to rethink. There was an invitation to, to reimagine, to evolve, to change, to grow. I think there was an invitation from God to ask the most basic gut-level questions about what are we doing here and why. If I'm honest, I think we did okay answering those questions. I think we need to revisit them. I think those are the kinds of questions that need to be that need to be in front of us all the time but when disruptions come, they're forced upon us. We don't have a choice. What are we doing here, and why? Now, the reason I bring all that up is because in our story this morning, Jesus <laughs> he caused a disruption, a major disruption. He wasn't messing around. He was forcing these kinds of questions. What are we doing here, and why? Are there ways we need to reimagine, rethink, to change, evolve, and grow? This is a hard story. This isn't Jesus meek and mild. This isn't Jesus with that cute little lamb. We've all seen the paintings and pictures, cute little lamb over his shoulders. This isn't Jesus down in the grass under a olive tree with the Little children gathered around him in his nice white and blue robe teaching the children and welcoming them with a big smiling face and a gleaming tooth. Ding! This isn't that Jesus. This is is Jesus the disruptor. This is Jesus the prophet. This is Jesus the agitator. This is Jesus the disturber of the peace. This is a Jesus who is not messing around. This is Jesus the disruptor. He makes a whip out of cords. He drives the sacrificial animals out of the temple square. He, he overturns the tables. He scatters all the coins everywhere, and he tells the money changers to get the you-know-what out of here right now. What are you doing here? What are you doing here anyway, and why? And I can't help but think that Jesus' disciples got the message clearly. When it comes to our life with God, which isn't just life in here, it's all life. When it comes to our life with God, Jesus isn't about business as usual. When it comes to the gathered people of God, Jesus refuses to be the protector of the status quo. Jesus, sometimes his, his aim is to wake us up. Sometimes his aim is to shake us up. Sometimes his aim is to disrupt us. And in this story, I think Jesus disrupts us in a couple of fundamental ways. Uh, there are more than these two ways that Jesus disrupts things but we only have time for two. So, we're going to go with two. I'm going to give you them up top. So, the first is this. I think Jesus through this story, through this episode, through this disruption, I think he disrupts he disrupts our thinking about about the other. Right? We all have them. We all have We all have those people. We all have the other. If we're being honest about it. We all have those people. Jesus disrupts our thinking about the other. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. This one might not be as obvious. We'll get to it. Jesus disrupts our thinking about our own bodies. Our own flesh and blood. Skin, bone, brains, and hearts, our own bodies, challenges us to think of them as temples of the divine. We actually embody in our physical selves, our whole selves, we embody the presence of God. Those are the two things. We'll talk about them one by one. Jesus disrupts our thinking about the other. So, in verse 13, John tells us, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, we should ask a question. Okay, what's that about? What's going on? What's happening? Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So in Jerusalem, they were preparing to celebrate Passover, right? which immediately jogs our memories, wakes us up, and we remember Passover. We're now thinking Exodus. So in Jerusalem, there's this humongous celebration which would bring millions and millions of pilgrims into Jerusalem for this big, huge party, this celebration, the Passover, What were they celebrating during passover the liberation of israel from slavery in egypt they remembering they were remembering all the story they would rehearse it they had rituals that would help them rehearse the story they remembered the pillar of cloud the pillar of fire they remembered the parting of the red sea what we call the exodus they remember walking on dry ground the waters crashing over the egyptian army they were celebrating all of it from slavery to freedom, the biggest, most extraordinary event in the history of Israel, all of it. That's what they're thinking of, that's what they're celebrating. And as part of their celebration, the people would come travel, the pilgrims would come to Jerusalem with animals in order to sacrifice them in the temple. Here's the problem. When they got to the temple, bringing the animals that they had brought, they were told those animals won't do. Nope can't sacrifice those animals here. You have to buy your animals in the markets, just outside, just inside the marketplace, in the temple. Those are the only animals fit for sacrifice. You know what they did with those animals? They charged up to 25 times what those animals should cost. Now, you understand what they're doing right? The people with power are lining their pockets. The people with power are figuring out how do we exploit this so that we can gain more power, so that we can gain more wealth. They set up a system of exploitation. So there were excessive fees and tithes in order to enter into the temple to worship God. They created a system of exploitation that wound up blocking access to people's fundamental right to worship God. Blocking access to God. What are we doing here? And why? Can you imagine blocking the access to God. The system they set up kept the poor, the lame, the sick, the foreigner, the other outside the temple. Or the system forced them into a a kind of endless debt before they were able to approach God in worship. So yeah, Jesus was upset. So, yeah. He was hopping mad. He was angry. So he staged a protest. A demonstration. Made a whip of cords. He flipped over tables. Part of me wanted to just flip this over just for fun. Because that would feel good. Flipping tables. He drove out the animals The money changers. And with his actions, he forced them. With this disruption, he forced them to ask the question blocking access to the divine, to the divine? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? I mean, here it is again. I said it a week or two ago. Once you see Jesus doing this kind of thing, crossing these kinds of barriers, removing these kinds of boundaries, you cannot unsee it, blocking access to the divine. What right do we have? What are we doing here? You know, for me, this, along with all sorts of other learning and studying and lots of other places in scriptures, but but this one is one of the ones that... that that made me change my mind about blocking access to the divine. And then some people were asked questions about me, what I thought about the LGBTQ community, and I I told them, I, I can no longer block access to the divine. Can't do it. Wanted to have conversations, but that didn't happen. That's okay. I get it. Um, but then it allowed us to sort of go through this process with the leadership of our church. And we came to the unanimous decision that we're no longer going to block access to the divine we're gonna become an open and affirming church. Uh, and then we came up with a, with a statement of welcome, and we printed on these little cards, just to make sure that anyone new who walks in these doors can pick one of these up and know exactly what we believe and what we think. And by the way, if someone new comes in, I, I invite you, they're right by the joy box, because this is a joyful statement. I invite you to hand this to anyone who comes in the doors. I want to read it to you in case you haven't seen it yet. I should have done this a year ago, but here's here's what it says. God's image is reflected in every person. God's grace in Jesus Christ ensures every person a place at the table. God's nature is magnified in the stories of every person. The love of God compels us, the way of Jesus calls us and the Holy Spirit guides us. Therefore, we embrace all people, we understand all to include every person encompassing the wide diversity of sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, background, gender identity and expression, family, age, social and economic status, physical, and mental ability, whether believer, seeker, or skeptic, God welcomes all. By embracing this rich variety, together we seek to embody the love of God expressed in and through each of us. So good. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. Second Reformed Church in Pella, uh, they did... They did a lot of that work crafting that statement. We changed it, used our own language, made it fit us, but basic ideas. So I want to I want to give I want to give props to them. Um, incidentally, we we made this decision uh, within a week of each other, and we didn't know it. Neither neither of our churches knew it. Um, how cool is that? Right. So good blocking access to the divine. Jesus disrupts our thinking about the other, And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. Here's the problem. This one's hard for me. People who disagree with what we've done, I don't have permission to other them anymore. Those people, that group, I can't even use that language anymore. That's othering language. I can no longer other them. All I can do is remain open and loving and willing to have conversation with as much humility and grace as I possibly can. And I invite you all to do the same. Sound good? Jesus disrupts our thinking about the other. Here's the second thing. Jesus disrupts our thinking about our bodies and challenges us to think of them as temples of the divine. We embody in our physical bodies the presence of the divine. We are to honor our bodies. Now, I don't know about you, but I wasn't necessarily taught how to honor my body in church. And I don't blame my church, Dad. I don't blame me. You were the pastor of the church I grew up in. (laughs) I wasn't listening. For those of you who are watching online, my dad just said I wasn't listening. Probably true, which means my kids aren't listening right now either, which is fine. Spread it. I'm spreading it. Shoulder this burden with me, Samuel, Caleb, Micah. I wasn't necessarily taught. And no, 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 here's here's where it is. This was part of Christian culture at the time. Like, I wasn't explicitly taught any of this. It was just caught because this was Christian culture. If anything, I caught that I had to be wary of my body. That I was to mistrust my physical body that I was to, in a sense, fear it. Right? Because it would lead me down paths I didn't want to go. That would get me in trouble. That would send me to you know I was taught that the two most horrific sins that would destroy my life was engaging in the art of reproduction <laughs> Little ears. And drinking beer. (laughs) Anybody else have that experience? We're kind of timid. It's okay. This is part of our lived experience. This is part of our embodied experience. Let's be honest about it. Let's just be honest about it. Honoring my body, listening to my body trusting my body being curious about my body none of that nope that's part of what jesus is teaching here as he stages his demonstration in the temple challenges them with these words destroy this temple and i'll build it again in three days of course the people there totally and completely misunderstand him because i would have too You're standing in the temple. You're thinking, he's talking about the temple. What? It took us 40 some odd years to build this thing. Are you going to raise it in three days? You're mental, brother. But John makes it clear and insists that that what Jesus is talking about isn't, isn't buildings made of stone or brick or wood or drywall or metal or anything else like that. No, no, no. It's not talking about that. The home of the transcendent, the divine, isn't in a courtyard, an altar, a sanctuary. No, God makes His home in a very different temple altogether. The temple of Jesus' own body. In the beginning, it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh tabernacled the thing that was the temple before the temple was a the thing they had this sort of portable tent that they carried around with them the tabernacle Jesus tabernacle made his dwelling among us and then, and then at the end of John's gospel after Jesus re- resurrected and the disciples were all confused and weirded out by it it says he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them And ever since then, we've understood that our very own bodies are temples of the divine. Homes for God. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us to honor our bodies as temples? As homes for God? By the way, Paul then picks up on this idea and riffs on it all kinds of different ways talks about the body of Christ, that's what we are. What What does it mean for us to honor our bodies as temples of the divine? It's not an easy thing to do. Let's just be honest about that. Especially in a Christian religious culture that often teaches that our body is inherently sinful, shameful, and spiritually dangerous. How do we honor our bodies? It's not an easy thing to do in a wider culture, which commodifies the body sees it as something to be used for profit. What do we do? It's not an easy thing to do. Most of the time, we're taught to conquer our bodies, to tame our bodies, to fear our bodies, to mistrust them. We see our flaws better than we see our own God-given beauty, don't we? So in preparation to watch Ant-Man, I had this experience yesterday, last night. In preparation to watch the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, we watched Ant-Man last night. Right hey. There's Paul Rudd, that beautiful boy. <laughs> His shirt's off. He's got just the perfect amount of chest hair. He's He's got the muscles here and he's like leaning back you can tell he's flexing without and i'm like Dang. i felt it i felt it i was like i wish we see our own flaws we see it we experience it causes shame feelings of heaviness and all around I mean, he's like seven years older than me. I don't look like that. You experienced anything similar? You don't have to raise your hand. I think Jesus, through John, I think he's telling us something important, deeply important about where we might find God, about where we might find the divine. I mean, Jesus taught us things like to look, to see, taught us to break bread, taught us to share wine, taught us to wash feet, to offer cups of cold water to those who need it. He taught us to visit those who are imprisoned. He taught us to welcome the stranger. All physically embodied actions. That, he says, is where you'll find the divine. How can we move past fear, mistrust, and uneasiness, even squeamishness, and offer our whole lives to God, including our bodies? Do we have a healthy theology of the body? I think these are disruptive questions, and I don't know if the church has answered them well, but I think they're important questions for us to think about. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor, who I am so grateful for, by the way, Barbara Brown Taylor, come across a book written by her, go ahead and get it, and go ahead and read it. I am grateful I get to sit at her feet and learn. She's written this book called An Altar in the World. She talks about how it's not possible to lean into God's love for my own body without also recognizing that God loves all bodies everywhere. She writes this, the bodies of the hungry children and indentured women, along with the bodies of sleek athletes and cigar-smoking tycoons. One of the truer things about bodies is that it is just about impossible to increase the reverence I show mine without also increasing the reverence I show yours. In other words, I can't value my own body. We can't value our own bodies. We can't value this body together, our physical presence together, without also valuing other bodies. We can't value our own bodies and then stand by as other bodies are mistreated and suffered discrimination and abuse. We can not which is why I think our kids will save us I think our kids are going to save us thank god for new generations oh, they're forcing these questions cuz most of us we don't want to have these questions but our kids are forcing these questions most of us have already changed their mind. Most of those kids have already changed their mind about things that a lot of my generation and the generation older will, will never change our minds about. They've already made the switch. They're already like, y'all are back crazy. That's all you are. They're forcing us. Just last Wednesday, hundreds of AIMS students, hundreds of AIMS students stage a protest. They took their bodies and they walked out of school. Thousands of high school kids around the state of Iowa took their bodies on Wednesday out of school and with their bodies protested some of the legislation being proposed in our state government. They used their bodies to make a statement, to make sure that the rest of us stand with other bodies that are suffering discrimination and abuse and shame. And whether those teens knew it or not, they were embodying the spirit of Jesus. If our faith isn't an embodied faith, we're missing a whole bunch. I mean, we like to make our faith this thing. We like to believe the right things. We have, to, we have to think the right things. all has to be proper and right and in place so that we can go to the good place, right? But we are missing so much. Our bodies are so, so important. We don't have any experience without them. No experience is without our bodies. What happens? It's not all up here. What happens when you get afraid, really afraid? Shake. You tremble. Maybe you cower. It's an embodied experience. When you think deeply about the ones you love so much, it fills you with a warmness, a warm, maybe you get a sense of goosebumps on your skin. What happens when you get angry? Your face gets hot. Your cheeks turn red. Again, maybe you shake. Our whole lives are embodied experiences. Gifts from God. So Jesus walks into the sanctuary. And he stages... protest he disrupts it all forcing us to ask the questions what are we doing here why are we here anyway he disrupts our thinking about the other he disrupts our thinking about our own bodies and the bodies of others and how we might be vehicles of the divine I'm so glad he did Let's pray.